Welcome to Five Books for Catholics, where an expert selects and explains five outstanding books on some aspect of Catholic life, doctrine, or culture. In their search for the ideal education, or paideia, the ancient Greeks were sometimes split over whether to attribute primacy to mathematical thought or to language skills. Pythagoras and Plato defended the primacy of mathematics. The Sophists and Aristotle, on the other hand, defended the importance of language. Similarly, the ancient Greeks began to distinguish and systematize fundamental disciplines within each of the two fields. These disciplines became known as the liberal arts because they equipped the free for their civic duties and for the life of the mind. Medieval scholars such as John of Salisbury and Hugh of St. Victor called the language-centred disciplines of grammar, logic and rhetoric the threefold way, or trivium. At the same time, they called the mathematically-oriented disciplines of arithmetic, geometry, music and astronomy the fourfold way, or in Latin, quadrivium. However, the classical liberal arts education was gradually displaced by Renaissance humanism, the rise of modern science, and educational programs of a pragmatist bent. Over the last few decades, however, there's been a movement to retrieve classical liberal education. Early proponents of this movement have often taken inspiration from Dorothy L. Sayers' advocacy of the Trivium in her essay, The Lost Tools of Learning. In recent years, however, others have insisted that the quadrivium is equally important for a well-rounded education in the liberal arts. In this episode, Professor Peter Ulrichsen will discuss five books that can help us learn and appreciate the quadrivium. Peter Ulrichsen is a mathematician and teaches at the Catholic University of America. He is the author of two books, A Brief Quadrivium and Teaching the Quadrivium. These two books reveal the enduring significance of the mathematical disciplines of the traditional liberal arts and make them newly accessible for students and teachers today. Augustin also publishes research in various fields of modern mathematics. Links to the recommended books can be found in the show notes. Professor Ulrichsen, welcome. Thank you. The trivium is clearly important for a Catholic education. It's a requisite of theological reasoning and biblical interpretation. The need for the numbered-centred quadrivium is not so apparent. Is the quadrivium necessary too? Uh, yes, it is. If you consider, well, I should say yes and no in that, uh, in a way, if we want to sketch out the, the full liberal arts, the full seven that you've listed there, then the mathematical are essential. Uh, that, And yet, I think we'll maybe get into this when we talk about Augustine. Uh, he acknowledges that it's difficult to cover everything. And so, for some people, sometimes there's going to be more of a focus on the, the language, for others on the mathematical. And uh, so I want to acknowledge that that uh, as much as I would 
want to propose the, the significance of these mathematical disciplines for liberal education. Uh, we have limited amount of time, limited amount of attention, other goals that we have in education. And so uh, in the ideal, they have a, a, an important place. What that's going to look like in practice is going to vary according to the and what motivated you to write a brief quadrivium? Uh, as you mentioned in the introduction, uh, those who are interested in recovering a classical education have been very confident in the place of the, the verbal arts and uh, articulated various ways to, to pursue them. With mathematics, it's, it's more difficult uh, and this difficulty isn't something that's just arisen recently. It's it's really, I mean, the uh, astronomy, we're going to talk about Ptolemy's Almagest, and that's very difficult. It's very technical. Uh, and it also, you know, became challenged once you have heliocentric uh, models of the solar system and further developments in physics and astronomy. Uh, the traditional arithmetic is challenged by and maybe completed by the development of algebra and so forth. So there's there's all of these strands going in different directions, things developing at different times. And it was, I realized that there was not a nice single entry point where you could get at roughly the same uh, technical level, these four disciplines presented in a way that really interrelated because they go together. They have their proper boundaries, but they also really go together. So it was an attempt to make a single accessible entry point to the four rather than saying, you're going to go through all of Euclid's elements, which is going to take you a long time, and you won't have done you know, some other things when you've done that. Uh, so my my hope is that the if someone studies and works through a brief quadrivium then that person will be well prepared to turn to the original sources uh but those things are fairly difficult to get into on their own and for whom did you write your book a brief quadrivium did you write it for school children adults or both it is really for both it uh i think that a lot of students could profitably study it around the age of 14 around the time that uh, in the united states they often have a course in geometry but if you didn't do it in high school uh it's something that you can study very profitably later in life I think that it's something like acquiring a degree of competence, a kind of intermediate level in a foreign language, like say Latin. Someone might do that in high school. And if so, that's great. That's going to be a great intellectual resource for the whole of life. But if you decide later on uh, that that's something that you're interested in, you can profitably do it at an older age as well. It's not it's accessible to young people, but it isn't childish. It's something that's uh, 
possibly fruitful at, at many ages. How can Catholics apply the quadrivium in their everyday lives? It's really, I mean, the, the practice of the uh, these mathematical disciplines is a kind of a natural contemplation, if you will, when you uh, become absorbed in these things that, uh, while absolutely speaking, they're relatively low, the order of all things, they still have a real beauty and clarity, and uh, they give the student a chance to practice this kind of of contemplation of something that's apart from material things and that isn't uh, being put to use for something practical but is instead experienced as its own kind of end granting of course that we have a further end but in this life we also experience these kind of intermediate ends and uh, they are signs of of our pursuit of that farther one so if i've understood correctly are you saying that the primary aim of the quadrivium is to help us contemplate the order present in the universe and ultimately the divine source of that order? Not Its primary aim is not, as occurs in much modern science, about working out how nature works so we can develop better technology. It's primarily contemplative rather than practical. Yes, yes. There was uh, a couple of years back, there was a, a Elon Musk tweeted, there aren't so much rocket scientists as rocket engineers, something along those lines. And uh, I think that's, and of course he's building rockets. He's not opposed to building rockets, but uh, that's a sort of a simple way of framing that distinction. That you're and one of the, one of the four arts of the quadrivium that some might find surprising is music mm-hmm. because obviously appreciate we, we associate a previous appreciation of music with listening to works let's say by Bach, Mozart and Beethoven or if you want uh, the Beatles and jazz not with playing an instrument with singing not with mathematics so what is what do you mean by music when you're yes. referring to the quadrivium yes the main thing that I mean is understanding uh, the way that relations between numbers make pleasant relations of pitch intelligible. So the simplest example of this would be that octave you have a relation of uh, two to one. This is seen in, say, a guitar string, where you have all of those frets that are allowing you to stop the string at various lengths. And if you, you know, of course, people who are playing a guitar aren't going to play an octave up from one string, usually on that string, they would go to a different string. But if you go carefully up the, the neck there, you'll find that the the octave is half as long as the the original note. And you can proceed from there. Other pleasing 
combinations or sequences of sound. And those sounds, again, can be understood through ratios, through relations of whole numbers. That's the main uh, kind of division. It's also, this is something that Augustine emphasized, you see number in music in uh, rhythm. And uh, he thought a lot about poetry, about long and short sounds. Uh, Latin poetry used to emphasize more long and short versus accent. Our, our poetry is now more accentual. But um, you kind of see both of these come together in the way that little children count and that we, we teach them to count. We say sort of one, two, three, four. And of course, the numbers you could say sort of in any time. Like if you're just saying the numbers in a row, you just say them. But when we're doing it in this kind of dramatic or performative way for children, we very naturally make it rhythmic, make it with even times. And there's also a little bit of pitch variation in there, I think, uh, that you can pick up. So both of these, number as ordering pitches and number as ordering times, those are the ways in which um, music is mathematical. And what is the focus of your own teaching and research? My uh, teaching and research recently has been especially focused on uh, really the, the quadrivium and understanding mathematics as a liberal art. My, my kind of background uh, in the area in which I did my uh, doctoral work was in kind of mathematics that was inspired by quantum field theory in a, a fairly abstract area of mathematics that uses a lot of technical tools. And so in a way, these are very different things to, to be studying kind of mathematical aspects of quantum field theory and then uh, kind of trying to go after a general foundation for a liberal education. But to me, they're really very, very complementary because I think that it's easy to, uh, well, mathematics has been collect, connected with a lot of, you know, philosophical disputes over time. And one of the, I think, clearest ways to see the ancient mathematics, apart from all of these kind of disputes, is is by studying mathematics uh, as it's as it's practiced just by professional mathematicians today. You can you can see the the continuity of uh, what's being done and appreciate the value of the older traditions simply by acquiring precise technical knowledge in in areas of modern mathematics. So they're really complementary. Uh, some might might find your book list surprising, if not eccentric. The first four books that you have chosen are likely to figure in a great books program, but not in the curriculum of a science major. Maybe of interest to the intellectual historian and the philosopher, perhaps, but surely much of the science is outdated, as you've already mentioned. 
or even when the mathematics is still sound as in Euclid's elements, wouldn't we do better to read the state of the art literature? The uh, it's going to be difficult. I mean, so the, the question is who who is reading and when? There there's those those two questions. And uh, so yes, there are some people at some times who certainly need to be reading the state of the art literature. But the the uh, the challenge, um, like just as the I, I really like when, when thinking about teaching mathematics to to, to use uh, the metaphor of, of you know physical training. There is you know a workout that an Olympic decathlete is doing right now. That's you know an incredible feat of, of it's an incredible human achievement, and that person is is doing that to to do something that you know most of us can't even dream of doing. There's also, you know, taking 15 minutes during your lunch to take a walk, doing a little stretch in the evening, doing some push-ups that that's not going to be particularly good for the decathlete. But on the other hand, if we try to do that, it's not really proportioned to. So what I uh, think is that in these in these works that I'm proposing, yeah, I want to offer something that's that's proportional to a learner who's not not looking towards specific technical competence and who is in a way still beginning. Now, the first book you've chosen is Euclid's Great Treatise on Geometry: The Elements. Have you recommended it? as a classic treatise on geometry for its exposition of arithmetic too in books seven and ten. I'm sorry. Or are you recommending you... are you recommending just for the geometry or also for the its arithmetic? Oh, yes. Now I heard the question. Thanks. Um, so in some way all of the the four disciplines are present in, in the books that I've mentioned. But you're right that the elements is principally geometric, but then it has some significant arithmetic there in those intermediate books. And I would say that if you if if you're able to get up through the arithmetical books, that's great. The the nice thing about the geometry, especially, you know, if even just looking at book one, is that the the method of stating clearly the first principles that are going to be used and then stating clearly the thing that is to be proved and then going through the proof so this this mathematics that's focused on proof rather than computation i think that can come through in an especially clear way in in geometry and plane geometry and then, uh, yes, it's also irrelevant. It, it's also the method of, of speaking of whole numbers, of in integral quantities, and proving things about them. Uh, but we sort of naturally get caught up in computation with number, right? We're going to, you know, do our taxes or, you know, figure out how much that project, home improvement project is going to cost or whatever. The numbers kind of immediately lead us, or I don't want to say immediately lead us, but 
in our ordinary practice of life, they're tied up in these these things. And so the by beginning with the geometrical, imbibe the spirit of of mathematical proof. And why do you recommend? Uh, well, sorry, this question we've already mentioned. Um, for your second book, we turn to the Almagest or Syntaxis Mathematica of Claudius Ptolemy, who lived from around 100 to 170 AD. How would you justify the inclusion of Almagest in this list to those who will deem this an eccentric recommendation? After all, modern science has disproved many of the fundamental theses and conclusions of Ptolemy's geocentric astronomy with its cosmology of heavenly spheres. Sure. I would uh, suggest that r rather than trying to see things as 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 simply opposing camps uh one hold one holding a statement x and the other saying not x these you know concrete that instead there's there's a successive uh refinement of approximations and i mean the the more modern example of that would be uh Newtonian mechanics as a kind of limiting case of of relativistic mechanics for you know things moving slowly. Um, I don't I don't think that the same attitude towards I, I I would encourage an attitude of like Newton and Einstein versus combatants in a war uh, because there are things that we can look up in the sky and see that Ptolemy gives a nice explanation of and. He is not, I mean, he makes clear that he has to fix some principles in order to to begin, but he's open to being corrected. He, he's, he gives us good mathematical models of phenomena, and he also gives us a kind of model of how to proceed, where he attempts respectfully to... Uh, relate what his predecessors have done while also trying to advance beyond them and stating that his own methods might need to be open to correction as well. So it, it is, and it is, but it is not simply in that kind of, as, a, as an example of method that I would propose him, I would say like something that he does that's very nice is to say, all right, at a given latitude, say, you know, you're 40 degrees north, where is the sun going to rise on the horizon? in the middle of summer. Uh, that's, you know, a relatively lowly phenomenon, you know, in that it's it's familiar and it's something that people have known about for a long time. But it's nice to be able to give an account of that. Like, it's not exactly due east. Where is it then? He can tell you. So you're recommending a sort of first value for everyday immediate experience? Yes, th I think that the uh a kind of challenge when you when you go to to more elaborate and more modern kinds of of physics and astronomy is that it's things that people have never seen and they're just taking it all on you know it's what i read in the book and it's good to unite the mathematical account with things that have really come through your own senses, not just someone else's. Thank you for listening. 
To read or listen to the rest of this interview and gain full access to our archive, visit 5booksforcatholics.com and become a premium subscriber. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and give it a top rating on the platform of your choice. That way more people can discover it. You can also support the podcast and help us produce more interviews like this one by making a one-off donation via the link given in the show notes. As little as one dollar, one pound or one Europe can help and will be greatly appreciated. Thank you once again and God bless.